name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you found the first part of our epistle less than crystal clear, take heart. You're in very good company. Tom Wright, considered by some as the world's leading New Testament scholar, describes it as a dense, sometimes bewildering passage. But even with his help, I'm not going to spend time trying to unravel it this morning. And that's because it's as if, all of a sudden, the sun emerges from behind the clouds to fill us with light and warmth. Paul now offers us one of his most memorable and world-changing statements. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. The Jews had been brought up to believe that God had chosen them to be special, not like other nations. It's not surprising if many understood this to mean favorite or privileged better than everyone else. Admittedly, they had read that when the Lord made a covenant with their ancestor Abram, he had said, I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. But he didn't stop there. He added, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, the Jews were indeed to be a chosen people, but chosen to play a unique role in drawing all other people into the knowledge and love of God. This was a special calling indeed, but one which would inevitably bring down upon them suspicion, hostility, and suffering. The Christian good news, which Paul proclaimed and fearlessly expounded at the cost of suffering and ultimately his death, was that the moment had come when the promise, sharing God's favor among all peoples, became a reality. God's loving intention had always been there, but it needed to be offered in a way which everyone could accept, and above all, needed to be urged to receive it with humility and joy. God's coming among us to share a human life and a brutal human death had changed everything. Although Paul never met Jesus during his earthly life, he was convinced that Jesus had met him had forgiven him the persecution of his followers and had called him to the task of taking the message of God's love beyond the Jewish people to all his children across the world. This, of course, was not good news for those who want to belong but don't want others to. In other words, an inclusive message, one which rejects the temptation, which maybe we all have from time to time, to exclude those who aren't like us. If ever we feel like that, we need to recall how Jesus treated those who were cast out by the rich and powerful. Paul is in effect telling his Galatian hearers that the way Jesus behaved is from now on the way God's love is to be understood by everyone. And that those who claim to be his followers must joyfully embrace it and share it as widely as possible. More specifically, he draws attention to three areas 
in which discrimination of the past is not to be tolerated anymore. If we are baptized into Christ and have therefore become members of his body, such behavior must be a thing of the past. All of you, he says, are one in Christ Jesus. Let's take a moment briefly to look at these three areas of life which are transformed by God's coming among us in Christ and see how things stand 2,000 years after that unique event. First, there is no longer Jew or Greek. We've already seen that God's will is that the favour he has for the Jewish people is not for them alone. It's the gift they're called on to share with all humanity. We need, too, to realise that the term Greek was not confined to those who dwelt in that specific part of Europe. It referred to anyone who wasn't a Jew elsewhere in the New Testament. They're also called Gentiles. The point is simple. In Christ, the time has come when God's promise to share to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed is being fulfilled. That won't be welcome news for those who've always prided themselves on their special status. We know that Paul had to struggle to get his fellow Christians, especially in Palestine, to accept Gentile converts and that they didn't need to become Jews before they could be Christians. In this same letter to the Galatians, we find him openly opposing Peter for allowing himself to slip back into distinguishing between Jew and Gentile. In today's world, where we mix freely with people from countries Paul never dreamt even existed, the message has to be that discrimination against them is against the will of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Racism is purely and simply sin, and Christians can have no part in it. Next, Paul teaches us that in Christ there is no longer slave or free. Of course, we know that slavery was part of the society in his day. His calling was not to be a social revolutionary campaigning for its immediate abolition and getting executed in the process. He was called to shine the light of Christ, to reveal the sisterhood and brotherhood of all people into the minds of those who would later be inspired to abolish slavery. That took far too long to achieve, far too long to combat the self-interest of people who thought they could own other people. That was scandalous enough, but the real scandal is that slavery is still far from abolished. It still thrives, not just in a less developed world, it's here in our own country. Not openly, but all the more odious for that. Girls and women in particular are kidnapped in home countries and smuggled here to feed the perverted appetites of wealthy customers. In Christ, there is no longer slave or free. It is the Christian duty to make that true throughout our society. Thirdly, Paul tells us that there is no longer male and female. He was, of course, a man of his own age, and some of the things he wrote may seem to tell a different story. 
but it's worth noting that most of the offending passages are in epistles more likely to have been written by his followers than by the man himself. I always wonder whether when he wrote to the Galatians, he had in mind perhaps only dimly the account in Genesis, God created humankind in his own image, male and female, he created them. If that's how God created us, the new creation Jesus comes to bring reaffirms that truth. But again, it's taken centuries for it to be widely accepted and for all the progress that's been made, we still have a way to go before we can claim that there is no longer male or female, even in our Christian community. Some consider these issues to be secondary and disagreement over them to be acceptable. Paul would be horrified at the idea. You recall that his trio of great assertions on nationality, slavery, and gender equality were introduced by the statement, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. It's an indispensable part of our Christian identity in following Christ that we do all we can to make progress in these vital areas. If we belong to Christ, then we are Abram's offspring and heirs according to the promise. We need to receive that promise gladly and live up to this calling.